You are listening to the To and Out CFL Podcast, a proud member of the Canadian Football Podcast Network. Does that mean that your favorite quarterback is going to be starting for Ottawa? It does. <laughs> I don't even want to say his name. <laughs> Grab some poutine and a double-double. It's time for the To and Out CFL Podcast. Every week, John Fraser. I'm actually part Canadian. No doubt to boot it. Who wants to draft me? Love me a rouge. And Travis Curra. Man, if they go with Sanceri over Brett Smith, then nothing has changed in Saskatchewan. We'll deliver news and fantasy analysis from the Canadian Football League. And nonsense. Uh, what do you call it? You're supposed to do the thing where you talk. And you pretend like you're like in- interested in the thing, but you just the need interview. the money. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the inner blue. Can't forget the nonsense. I thought you should know I ate two carrot muffins as you were drunk, Jim Barker. Ready, set, hut. Shout out to Richard. He ended up tweeting saying he was at Tim Hortons, ate two Tim Hortons carrot muffins, and thought of me. I have to say I am flattered. Thanks for that tweet. Richard, it's episode 79, the Two and Out CFL podcast. Brazilian tie. Travis Cura, I promise I will get a new intro. Hey, maybe one of our awesome listeners wants to produce a new intro uh, for Two and Out. I do want to apologize for not being here last week. There was a tragedy in the family. I literally found out 10 minutes before uh, we were going to record last last week. I had to take care of some family stuff, and uh, things are getting better. They are getting better, at least enough to talk a, a bit of football here. And it feels like a million miles ago. <laughs> but uh, the whole Art Bryles thing in Hamilton, we came up with a bit of a Twitter fundraiser to do. Uh, retweet a tweet, and uh, we will donate some money to the Sexual Assault Center in Hamilton Thank you to Brazilian Ty for being our bankroll. I had the idea of doing, hey, 25 cents a retweet. You had the idea to go a buck a retweet. So <laughs> I, guess, <laughs> I, I guess I should say thank you to you, but thank you to everybody for giving us a retweet. And I think the total ended up being a $550 donation to the Sexual Assault Center in Hamilton. So thanks to everybody for helping us out with that. Yeah, that. That escalated in a hurry, and then uh, we decided to run it, run it for the rest of Labor Day weekend there, and it uh, gained some steam, and we were able to make a sizable donation to the uh, sexual assault center there. So, uh, you know, just one of those things where we thought we had to step up and do something in light of what went on there, and ended up being five hundred and fifty bucks. So, uh, sent that away there last week, and got the receipt now. So, there is proof we didn't just count the retweets and not do anything with them yeah, yeah there there is proof you can't uh, you can't deny us for that but it has not been a slow news day so let's get right to it in the huddle with fraser and Kura on the two and out podcast i honestly am not sure where to start here uh, I guess let's start by saying congratulations to the Hall of Fame class of 2017 because this might be we'd have to look back into the you know induction classes this might be the greatest class of all time it is stacked Anthony Calvillo G Roy Simon Mike O'Shea Kelvin Anderson. Brian Taurus and Stan Schwartz. It is an absolutely amazing class. And I just kind of feel 
old, man. Uh, these players are like guys that I can almost remember their whole career. And I mean, uh, Towers and Schwartz outdate me a bit, but everybody else, like I remember watching these guys. <laughs> and usually, to me, the Hall of Fame is for you know the old guys that come before me. But now I'm, I'm one of those old guys. Yeah, we're we're starting to get to that age now where we're not in our prime anymore. We can actually so, call the people <laughs> getting drafted kids. Yeah, and that that like if you think about it, next year, two thousands are going to be the draft class in the NHL. Oh man, two thousands! Like, come on! <laughs> this is getting a little ridiculous. But uh, yeah, like everybody's so deserving on this. Uh, you know, Calvio, Simon O'Shea. You know, grew up watching those guys. You know, those are household names in the CFL, uh, especially, and even now with uh, Calvio still around in Montreal and O'Shea, head coach in Winnipeg. So uh, it's really nice to see those guys get the kudos they deserve and get inducted into the Hall of Fame. I guess speaking of Calvio, he is still in Montreal. I'm not sure if he ended up making the induction ceremony. He kind of said he wasn't going to go with the news in Montreal, and Cavis Reed said no. You're going. You're. This is the Hall of Fame, man. You only have to go to Hamilton, so you know, go get it done. I'm. I'm not sure if he did go, but the coaching changes in Montreal, man. I assume the CFL wanted a quiet news day so they could announce their player safety initiatives here. They didn't get one. We wake up and find <laughs> out that the Owls fire their head coach, Jacques Chapdelaine. And defensive coordinator Noel Thorpe. That one really surprised me. Also surprising is the timing of it. Uh, you're not on a bye week. You're, you know, on a Wednesday morning. You only got a couple days to get ready for the game. And it's the third year in a row where the Alouettes have made a mid-season coaching change. Yeah, we we make fun of Hamilton or have been for this whole year, saying they're a dumpster fire. And then you look look at Montreal, and it's like, what is going on there? It's just, it's bad timing in my in my opinion. Um, Cavis Reed got the job there in the off season, and uh, Thorpe and Chapdelaine weren't his guys. They're not the guys that he brought in. So now he has a chance to bring his own guys. But at the same time, you're in a playoff spot. I know I know you're three and eight, but uh, like it just makes no sense. You're not gonna. This isn't gonna help your team with with anything in my opinion um you know you're you're bringing in a new guy and it's going to be a new dynamic and it's there's something to be said for consistency in football and they have not been consistent the last few years whether it's on the field or in the front office so this is just adding to it now judging by uh nick lewis's tweet i don't know if you caught it but and i quote if you thought my book was going to be interesting before just wait (laughs) I'm in full support of Cavis, Patrick, Bob, and Andrew Wettenhall. Hashtag bird life. There was word that Chapdelaine was, you know, at odds with Cavis Reed basically since training camp, and they have not gotten along at all. But, I mean, judging by Lewis, it looks like the players weren't a fan of Chapdelaine either. Well, in Saskatchewan, when he was the offensive coordinator, it was so inconsistent, um, especially with the running game. You'd have Jerome Messam get 
20 car- 15 to 20 carries one week and four the next week, and then you go back to him for a week and then not go back to him for two weeks. And as a player, that that just doesn't it doesn't work for you. You can't get in a groove. You you can't get the, a good feeling for the game. And I don't know if that's the same thing that's going on in Montreal. And I don't know. Um, I don't want to think it's a problem, but maybe the fact that he's bilingual. Um, you know, it, it's nice to have that in Montreal, as you can see with the hockey team. Uh, you know, it's not a prerequisite to be bilingual, but it's nice to have a French-speaking coach. I'm just wondering if uh, that had something to do with it. I wouldn't think so, but like, I get it. They're not Cavis Reed's hires, but like Nick Lewis says, he fully supports uh, the decisions and Cavis Reed and all that. So uh, there was something going on, and I don't think we'll ever find out what it was. But um, maybe it's for the better for Montreal. I guess we'll, time will tell. It's kind of interesting because from the outside looking in, I'm I'm like, man, these owners have to get their hands out of the football operations in Montreal. Mm-hmm. But <laughs> it, maybe they just keep making the wrong hires. We, I mean, since Tressman left, that head coaching position there has been horrible. There, there's no other way to describe it. I actually thought when they had Tom Higgins that – he was probably the best of the options so far, but they end up getting rid of him too. So when that happened, I'm like, man, these wet and halls kind of just have to step back and let the team, you know, figure itself out. I'm worried about Montreal and the situation and how long they're going to be able to keep a team there. If they can't even keep a coach for an entire season, it's kind of scary. Uh, I mean, the attendance isn't that well. I mean, they don't have, you know, the biggest stadium in the league. And Quebec is a hotbed for minor football. These guys should be Mm -hmm. able to take advantage of that and you know have some of the local players drafted there and be a big deal in the city of Montreal and uh, another layer to this is Darren Durana coach killer oh boy he has had a lot of coaches a lot mm-hmm. of offensive coordinators throughout his career yeah um oh that's that's quite the label to put on a guy I, <laughs> I know, I know. <laughs> uh, I I don't think so. I think I think the way he plays lends itself to failure, to a point. Um, you know, he like he's a gunslinger, likes to throw the ball a lot, and that can get you into trouble. And if you start losing football games, the coach is gonna the coach is gonna be the scapegoat when yeah. it comes down to it. So, I don't think. I don't think it's a relationship thing. I think it's more just the way he plays kind of leads into that as a coach killer, quote-unquote. The team's so interesting to watch because uh, there was a stat there. Durant is at the top, or one of the best in the league, of uh, throws down the field, like 20 yards and over this season. And when they've done that, they've really succeeded. They'll do it for like a drive with... You know, three or four big plays in a row to mm-hmm. score a touchdown, and then the next one, it's four-yard curls. <laughs> I, I, yeah. I, I don't understand their offense. Like one minute they're pushing it down the field, and they're—I mean—they got big play receivers in Cunningham and Jackson, and Lewis can be yeah. your underneath guy, and they have one of the best running backs in the league in Tyrell Sutton. But they—they haven't been able to make it work. This season. So coming up right now, uh, Anthony Calvillo, I guess, is the OC. He's going to be calling the plays on offense. And Greg Quick 
will be calling the plays on defense. He apparently was in Saskatchewan. I I don't think he ever really was calling the plays in Saskatchewan. There have been rumors of Rich Stubler coming back to Montreal, but they need some stability there and stability fast. Yeah, success breeds success, and you saw that for years with Calvillo uh, at the helm there, and Calvillo leaves, and now it's cyclical. You're going to have years where it's going to be a down year, and you're trying to develop, and just they can't seem to shake it uh, I thought Durant going there would be a good stopgap and apparently it hasn't worked out so much so far but yeah they got to turn this around pretty quick now also on Wednesday I did say that you know the team wanted a quiet news day so they can announce their new uh, player safety advances effective immediately there will be no full contact padded practices in the Canadian Football League. They will extend the season to a 21-week schedule. Each team will get three bye weeks next year. I am kind of shocked at some of the negative reaction we're seeing with this. As it is right now, I, I, I believe these are the numbers. The NFL, they only have 11 padded or full contact practices a year. The CFL has 17 of them. So they're getting rid of those. Now, if you've made it to the CFL, Milt Milt Stiegel says this, and you don't know your fundamentals, you don't know how to tackle, you don't know how to take a hit, you're getting getting cut. (laughs) I I don't understand uh, how people think this is a bad thing or how it's going to add injuries. They're going to move the season a week up. We're not going to be playing the Grey Cup in the first week of December, and that's a whole other thing. I like the Grey Cup where it is, and let's face it, the Grey Cup, it doesn't matter about the 40,000 people in the stands. That's gravy. It's about the 4 million people watching at home in November, I think, is the perfect place for the Grey Cup. I don't see the negatives for (laughs) this at all. I don't understand. It's easier said than done saying that if you don't if you can't tackle and all that stuff you're getting cut. Contracts are going to come into play at some point and your skills on the field. Are you going to keep a guy who's expensive but can tackle or do you want to keep a guy who's on his entry level deal who you can work with and maybe develop a little bit? Well, now because you have no pad of practices, that guy's not going to get a shot if he's not quite where they need to be. And yeah, sure enough he can go to the practice squad, but you're not going to be able to work on tackling. Or any, or and same with linemen. You know, there's something to be said for practicing like you play. And when I coach hockey, I I preach that if you're gonna practice off, we're not gonna play well. I kind of feel the same way. I understand football is a hell of a lot more physical, um, and it there is a lot, a lot of trauma, like head trauma that can occur. And even in practice, those little jolts can still over time create problems. Um, I so I get it. Uh, it would, it's tough. I, I don't know. It, it it I don't think it's fair. It was mentioned on the radio today. I never even thought of it. I don't think it's fair to Edmonton this week, who are going to have a lot of frustrations after this four game win streak, and now the coaches have no way to vent those in practice. Um, and if it's if it's something that you struggle with in a game, there's no way you can work on it now. So. I don't know if completely abolishing it was the right answer, but Ambrosi has been acting quick and swiftly this year, so 
It, it is what it is. Everybody's going to have the same disadvantage now or advantage, however you want to look at it. Everybody's being treated the same. So, I mean, nobody's going to get a real big edge. And as for the three bye weeks next year, um, does that mean that we're not going to have teams playing four games in 17 days now? Maybe we can figure out the schedule? Well, it should. I would hope because that is stupid. I, I guess my thing is, I mean, Solomon Alamimi and, and Bear Woods, they don't need to practice tackling. No. and But they how don't. many guys are trying to make a team in the middle of the season? It's still full contact and batted in training camp. Exactly. Oh, yes, for sure. But when you have a guy who needs to work on it, like a first-year player coming out of school, maybe needs to work on some stuff. Now, now you don't have the opportunity to do that. And so you're either going to have to put him on your practice roster or you got to cut him. And the guy has no chance to develop those skills as much because you know this is going to trickle down. Eventually, there's going to be this is going to happen in university level now too. It, it has to. You can't just come to the pros and have no contact and practice. It's going to trickle down as far as it can. And then eventually, people aren't going to want to tackle. Well, you will not tackle properly. You will be taught, but it's not going to be the same. I guess I think once a player is good enough to get drafted, he's got the fundamentals down. He, he should know how to tackle even at the U Sports level. And if he doesn't, he's probably not going to get drafted. I mean, but, but then why do we see so many missed arm tackles game after game? Because guys don't break down. Yeah. And now they, you can't point a guy out now in a film room and say, okay, that's what we're working on today. You can't do that now, right? So you're going to keep making the same mistakes. I, I think that's something that is more mental than physical like if if a 265 pound Jerome Messam's running at you yeah you have to get in his way and no, no you don't I, I'd get out of the way <laughs> but guys they'll try to tackle <laughs> with their arms I don't think that's a fundamental yeah. issue I think it's I I think it's a mental issue like guys come on here and I have heard uh, Don Matthews hated he he almost didn't make his guys practice in full contact and he won some great cups correct me if i'm wrong he well, won a couple he <laughs> yeah he won you know <laughs> one or two great cups and for the most part i guess the teams after labor day they're beat up as it is and they don't mm-hmm. really practice with contact anyway so i i i think it's a good move for the league and uh i mean i guess we'll see starting the rest of the year. I think at this point it will be fine. I think we'll see the effects in the next couple years uh, here and there uh, how much this makes on the on the league. And, yeah, <laughs> four games in 17 days, we can say goodbye to that. That's happened twice this year. Yeah. Like I, you can't play four games in 17 days. You can't. Well, that's what I mean. Like, those guys, they aren't – doing contact and practice anyway i mean no you can't they're just having the ice bath getting ready for the next game yeah you're ba- if basically you don't you're just doing walkthroughs at that point because you're you can't really practice much because you're going to wear yourself out so because I, I guess pro football it, it's like a car crash uh and i think they need as much rest as they can i i think it's going to make them fresher on game day and if they miss tackles hey that makes more offense and more points, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that said is true. Said is true. 
Uh, Johnny Football. He's activated his 10-day clause with the Tiger Cats. Originally, we thought this means that they were going to have to sign, trade, or release him. Basically, it only means that the Tiger Cats have 10 days to offer him a minimum contract. And if they do that, they have his rights for another year. I think that he is going to be signing with Hamilton. I don't see him on the field this year, unless the Ticats trade Kalaros, which now with this news, I think might happen sooner than later. First things first, I think it's stupid that all you have to do is offer him a minimum contract to keep his rights for another year. Yeah, I agree. They, it should be you either get him signed or you have to trade trade his rights or you outright release him off your nag list. Because now, ah, just offer the minimum. We don't care if he signs it or not. We'll keep his rights for another year, and next year we'll look at it again. So there's really no pressure on the tie Cats here. They have 10 days to decide if they really want to sign him or not. Or even op- all they have to do is offer him a contract. Will he sign it? Who knows? Does he want to play football that bad? We don't really know that yet. Um, but <laughs> can you really trade Kalaros? Well, it's t- it's tougher to trade the contract than the man. <laughs> well, that's what I mean. Like, yeah. that's a that's a big nut to get rid of. Um, Masoli, right now, Masoli, like they they're two and zero with him, so I I don't see why they'd go back to Kalaros unless they're trying to showcase him. And hopefully, somebody the only people who need a quarterback are in the East right now. Um, maybe Saskatchewan takes a look, but. Um, I think I think they offer him a contract. But I don't think Manziel signs because I don't think he thinks that he. I think he thinks that he's not going to get not going to get a shot at a starting job in Hamilton. The way so things are going right now, if he signs in the CFL, he's got to get rid of that money taunt, right? Yeah, but he won't. <laughs> yeah, making fifty three k a year. <laughs> That's the minimum contract, by the way. I don't know if he's going to sign that. Uh, I mean, you make good money if you're a starting quarterback in the CFL. I'd love to make that money. But it's not the same as uh, that NFL signing bonus he got uh, oh. a few years ago. I uh, Apparently, he's must, or he's had to have gotten offers or at least talked to other teams because uh, there has to be some teams that just want to sell tickets. Uh, to get Johnny oh, football for sure. in uh, the stadium. And it, it's really forced him to force the Ticats to make a bit of a decision here. And I think maybe next time we record this podcast next week, we'll, we'll know what's happening with Johnny Manziel. I got, I got one question about that, though. Would the league want to meet with him before he signed? I don't know. Because of the issues that he's had, like that we just went through the Art Briles thing two weeks ago, three weeks ago now, sorry. Um, and you know this guy with substance abuse issues has been in rehab. Has you know, maybe I, I don't think they'd have a problem with Hamilton signing him. I think it'd be they'd want to have a sit down and just see where he's at before they said, okay, we'll we're okay with this. I it's wonder if that's kind of already happened. Uh, that's what I'm wondering too, because it but seems like it, we're pretty far in that process. Yeah, 
I'm just like because if I'm if I'm Randy Ambrosi, I would have done that for sure. Yeah. Because I because this if this guy's gonna be in your league, he's gonna be a really big name, and you know if he's gonna end up going back down that same path, that's gonna be a it's gonna be a bad look. I, I wonder if uh, Montreal, Toronto, BC, and Saskatchewan have all talked to him. Those are kind of the teams that I'm thinking mm-hmm. of uh, for on the field and off the field reasons uh, for those teams. Now, that's the big news. I guess we can just hammer through some things here. Kevin Glenn is day to day. Maybe by the time you listen to this, either the Riders have already played the Tiger Cats or we know what's going to happen. He's listed as a starter on the depth chart. But Brandon Bridge took all the first-team reps in Wednesday's practice. I could see this going either way. We did a poll on Twitter, and it was nothing was decided. It was kind of like a uh, (laughs) 50-50 kind of thing. I seem to think that it's just Jones playing a bit of mind games. Of course, he's not going to tip the cap as to who his starting quarterback is going to be. I think it's Brandon Bridge. Who do you think is the quarterback for the Riders this week? I I want it to be Kevin Glenn, but last time when I checked just before we recorded, it was at game time decision. Now, yeah, so, I don't like game time decisions. Yeah, so, ugh. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I'm thinking Bridge. I want it to be Glenn. Thinking Bridge. Um, if he struggles, Vernon Ad- Vernon Adams is right there. Uh, guys never lost as a starter. I know he's only had three starts, but. <laughs> He's never lost as a starter, so he's got that going for him. Uh, and, yeah, like you said, though, Chris Jones not wanting to tip his hand, uh, just leaving Glenn his day-to-day, not saying who will be starting for sure. Belichick does this every week with Tom Brady in the NFL. He's always – Tom Brady is questionable every week. Uh, <laughs> and we know Chris he's going to play. <laughs> yeah, you know he's going to play. Uh, maybe, maybe this is just giving Glenn some time off. Uh, he got a little banged up there last week, so – Maybe the rest is all he needs, and he'll be good to go come game day. Travis Lule is out for the year after a season-ending knee injury. Uh, I listened to him on uh, the BC Lions Den podcast a few weeks ago. Just an amazing guy. It was their episode 100, and it seems like you asked him one question, and he talked to you for five minutes. He's one of the good guys in the league. You should listen to their episode, one of our Canadian Football Podcast Network brethren uh, this week, because Ryan Phillips was signed uh, as a scout in BC, and they were able to have him on the podcast. I, uh, It's sad. I, I don't know what the future is for Travis Lule. I, I'd love him to stay involved with this league, though, and maybe get on as a coach if he is in fact done because he basically he might lose next season as well uh with this yeah acl acls are a year right yeah so you're looking labor day next year if he's 100 percent. yeah and no cap or anything like that so yeah he won't yeah yeah um i i I still think they resign him maybe not as a but get him on the sidelines uh, he has a really good relationship with Jonathan Jennings, as we've seen the last couple of years. So I think that's huge, especially for Jennings' development. I think having him around would uh, really really help Jennings you know, become the quarterback that everybody thinks he can be. So I think that's huge. And maybe it's a little bit of a salary cap magic like the Tiger Cats are doing with Andy Fantuz. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> this quote-unquote retires 
coaches until he's ready to play and then comes back. <laughs> Which he, <laughs> yeah. he could be coming back in the next couple weeks, so watch out for that. Staying with the quarterback, though, Trevor Harris separates his shoulder. Damn. <laughs> Does that mean that your favorite quarterback is going to be starting for Ottawa? It does. <laughs> I don't even want to say his name. Man. Drew Tate. Man, he frustrates me. He throws lame ducks. Mm-hmm. And he throws it straight in the air, and it's like the DBs don't know. They lose it in the you know the, the lights or something. It's, ah. And he wears a tinted visor, which just pisses me off. <laughs> Yes, he'll be starting uh, for the Red Blacks for the next few weeks. Let's slam through some signings here. The Riders sign Otha Foster, Marcus Thigpen, and Jeff Knox. I don't know how their quarterback or, or their uh, salary cap is uh, staying intact, but it has to be because they saved a pile of money uh, by keeping, I guess, Chad Owens on the sixth game and by letting uh, Darian Durant go to Montreal. The Ticats cut Brian Timms. He instantly basically signs in Toronto. BC set to sign Alex Bazzi, who was an NFL cut. He was with the Lions the last few years. Mm -hmm. AJ Jefferson gets cut in Saskatchewan and signs in Edmonton. Mitchell White, veteran defensive back, signs in Toronto. And Aaron Grimes may be returning to the league. And it looks like he's also close to signing with the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. This defense, <laughs> I if if the Rider had a if if they had a better pass rush, which they do, okay, Willie Jefferson back there, they don't mm-hmm. really get that much pressure on the quarterback. They have in their wins and their losses. That's their total weakness. I don't know yeah. if you need to pressure the quarterback when you have all these guys on defense. No, uh, <laughs> you, you're going to get covered sacks. The you know, quarterback's going to have to stand back there and wait for something to open up. Um, I know the guys at the Eskimo Empire podcast are going to be a little upset that Grimes sounds like he's going to be signing in Saskatchewan, especially when we take James Franklin from him next year. <laughs> um, <laughs> sorry, Andrew, had to. Um, no, but these are huge signings, especially for the riders. You know, now they got Marcus Sigpen back. To return and, uh, you know, just adding to that defense that has been stout the last couple of weeks, um, you know, and Alex Bazzi coming back to BC is going to be huge too. And I, Tim's getting signed in Toronto will be just another weapon for for Ricky Ray to use in that offense. So all these signings are actually, are, I think they're all pretty uh, pretty big for their respective teams. There is a lot of trade talk. I know the deadline's going to be coming up here right away. Corey Watson and Shamad Chambers have been dangled out there. A couple Canadian receivers uh, that the Eskimos might want to trade. So we'll keep you updated on all that news. You can follow us on Twitter at 2 Out CFL. Let's bang through last week's games. Time for the Fantasy Expose on the 2 and Out podcast. Well, last week was a lot of fun. (laughs) (laughs) A lot of anger going every which way. I guess we got to start with the BC win over Montreal, 41-18. to So from 30 yards out. And it is blocked and scooped up. Anthony Gator is going to take it the other way. Yes, that was Chris Rainey blocking that 
punt. Yes, the running back slash returner was on special teams in that capacity. I wonder if we see more teams doing that and just throwing your fastest guy on the corner on uh, field goal blocks. Oh, my goodness, did he get off the ball quick. Oh, he did. <laughs> Three steps, and he was there. I was like, what just happened? Nick was sleeping on the couch. I woke him up. I had, like there, it, it, there was nothing. I, all I could say was, what the hell? And Gator was gone. He had the ball. Um, you know, if if you can load up that line, uh, you, you're, you can get a guy unblocked off the edge, and he's got to be quick enough to get there. Um there's an old tale that Glenn Suter's told a couple times about Ridgeway practicing, kicking in, in practice and having guys line up where they normally would on the corner, and you have to be absolutely perfect to get there untouched yeah. um, before the kick. So it's just one of those things. It's the second hesitation by somebody, either the long snapper, the holder, or the kicker, and it results in a block, and you know Chris Rainey's fast enough. He's going to make you pay. Travis Lule got hurt on the second play from scrimmage. John Jennings comes in, and you know what? He looked like kind of the Jennings we expected at the beginning of the year. 22 of 29 for 295 yards and two touchdowns. And also, I find that the Lions have more success when they can get Jeremiah Johnson the ball. 19 mm-hmm. carries, 91 yards, and he's a touchdown machine. Two touchdowns there. There were three 100-yard receivers in this game. Two for uh, BC, Brian Burnham, Manny Arsenault, and BJ Cunningham for Montreal had one as well. It seems like Jennings and Arsenault, they have had slow starts of the seasons the last few, but uh, now Manny has that brace off his knee, and Jennings and Manny, they have some awesome chemistry. They might be a force to reckon with down the stretch here. Yeah, they're going to lead the way for BC's offense for sure. Um, you know, the number one option in the air and your number one option on the ground, and that just opens it up really for everybody else, for Burnham and, and Chris Williams, um, Marco Iannuzzi. Um, it just makes the whole team better when those guys are clicking. Uh, uh, scary offense, to be to be sure. It is. Uh, Darian Duran doesn't throw a pick. You were surprised by this. <laughs> you weren't? <laughs> He's had a rough year in that department. <laughs> Uh, he, he he took care of the ball. Um, a little lucky on some passes, but uh, you know, don't throw a pick. It looks pretty good on your on your stat sheet. That might be the only positive on the Montreal side. Well, Cunningham had a hundred yards. Well, that's a positive too, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> well, c- they did have a that uh, the defensive series after the Kyrie Hebert interception that was called back on the pass interference. They stood BC up first and goal. Um, you know, that's seven points. That's a four point swing right there. That's huge for that defense at the time. You know, that Montreal defense, I don't know why Thorpe got fired. <laughs> yeah, I don't either. He, he wanted to escape Montreal and go to Edmonton a few years ago, but they wouldn't let him go. And now he got fired. I, I, I don't think he's going to be without a job. For too much longer, but yeah, that goal line stand, which is hard to do in the CFL, a yard mm-hmm. off the ball, it's just that much more impressive. The B, the, the Montreal front seven, they're still a force to be reckoned with. Uh, like I said, saw these guys in a back alley, I'm going out of the way. <laughs> I'm, I'm not standing in anybody's way there. I guess we should talk about the Banjo Bowl. Yes, the Bomber fans were confirmed the loudest fans in the CFL. They were almost screwed over by the Moose, though. 
Oh, my goodness. Investors Group Field was not full at kickoff because of the moose, and apparently New Mosaic Stadium was 11 decibels louder for uh, the team coming out of the tunnel. So I, I think it's all because of the moose, but they ended up winning by half a decibel, which whatever. But they end up beating the Riders by 20, 48, 28. And a knuckle punt that bounces up and down the sidelines at the 15-yard line. By the way, give me more CFL triple headers so I can hear more of Gordon Miller and uh, Matt Dunnigan calling games because, man, that was <laughs> that was awesome. Sound like a World Junior game almost. Yeah, <laughs> except crazy Dunnigan in there. <laughs> wow. Well, I mean, Matt Dunnigan, Pierre Maguire, is it really that big of a difference? <laughs> Get excited, Edmonton! <laughs> I love me some Pierre. Matt Nichols goes 24 for 37 for 282 yards and a three touchdowns you still have written on this prep sheet game manager <laughs> i should i should angry elk that that's a no no that's a bad phrase didn't throw a pick he didn't uh, didn't throw for 300 yards either <laughs> didn't really take any big risks he just managed the game it works it- well, yeah, but it's boring. <laughs> well, Andrew Harris has 12 carries for 57 yards, five catches for 26 yards. You got the averages here. He needs just under 50 yards rushing for the rest of the year and about 59 yards receiving to go 1,000, 1,000 on the year. It's definitely doable. The receiving is tough, though. Yeah, Um but he's so good at catching the football out of the backfield. He is. Um, but these last two games against Saskatchewan have really messed with his with his average per game. Um, they've really been able. They were really able to shut him down, more or less, for these last two weeks, which was huge. Which gave Saskatchewan a chance until their third quarter. And yeah, you know what I uh, I said if the Riders win this game or even stay competitive. They're a different team. I know they lost by three scores, but they were competitive mm-hmm. until the third quarter, and uh, Kevin Glenn ends up getting getting hurt. He did throw for over 300 yards again. He did have two interceptions, too. When you're playing in an environment like that, and you know what? They were competitive for a long time. I think it is a different rider team we are seeing right now. Now, the clip I played, the Mo Leggett punt return there, what happened? I'm still oh, fooled. Oh my goodness! They they fooled everybody. <laughs> everybody. The camera guy looked at Kevin Fogg. The play by play guys on the TV were talking about Fogg not being able to field it and how it was going to be a, a bad punt. The radio guys had no idea where the ball was. <laughs> um, you know, it's a college play. That that's straight out of NCAA. Um, and Winnipeg pulled it off to perfection. And Mo Leggett had two guys to beat on the far side of the field and he took it back for the score 97 yards and yeah I don't I don't understand when you're in the huddle I'm pretty sure your punter tells you which way this ball is going yeah so why are you looking at the returner well you'd think that O'Shea would have pulled out 
all of the stops by now. But uh, he, he's gonna he's he's got many that we don't know about. He played. He was such a special teams guy when he, he played. Was. He was unbelievable. I, there, I don't know what else he could do other than yeah, an onside punt maybe. <laughs> but like that's about all I can think of. Yeah, it, it, it's awesome what he can do, and uh, it's definitely fun to watch uh, when when what they do works for them. Uh, let's go to Ottawa. The Hamilton Tiger Cats win 26-22 in their second game in a row. Punch it home here. Will they? Looks like they will. Touchdown. C.J. Gable now has a pair, finishing off impressive drives from the Hamilton Tiger Cats. I actually think C.J. Gable can be one of the best backs in the league if he gets the ball. Uh, they don't mm-hmm. really give him the ball the last few weeks. I think he's seen the ball a bit more here, and it paid off. Two touchdowns here. And would you look at that? Two wins. Oh, my. It's it, it's not rocket science. Gable had 11 carries for 74 yards in this one. And on Labor Day, Gable had himself six carries, but 43 yards, a touchdown. And he also had two catches for 12 yards. Get him the ball at least, I'm going to say, 10 to 15 times a game because Gable can make it happen. Well, and it doesn't necessarily have to be on the rush. He can... You can use him on screen passes to, He's to great set up other that. things as well, too, right? Yeah. Um, but, yeah, they've proven these last two weeks when, when he gets touches, like they, they're able to win a football game because they're not so one-dimensional. Um, you know, when Ken Austin was a head coach, it seemed like it didn't really matter what was going on in the game. They were passing. The, the running game was non-existent, and now with June Jones, that seems to have seems to have changed, and things are looking up in Hamilton right now. I don't know if this is just a fluke these last two weeks. I hope it's not. Um, you know, they're only four points out of a playoff spot now uh, and <laughs> only five points out of first spot. place. So, you know, it does, it's not going to take much to turn this around, and maybe it has. I don't know. Last few weeks, Brandon Banks has had himself nine catches for about 150 yards and a touchdown, and he's not really returning anymore. DeMar Altman uh, has been back there for the Tiger Cats. Maybe he is a nice little cheaper uh, option in CFL fantasy. Yeah, it, you know you're going to get those yards. Take them, take them when the value's high right now. Um, yeah. You know you're not going to have to pay a lot. So if if you got if you need uh, if you need cheap points, it's one way to go. Now <laughs> let's go to the game where absolutely everybody was up oh, in arms, boy. mad. <laughs> <laughs> Especially Eskimo fans, they're still mad, I think, to this day. Let's go to one of the plays that made them extremely mad. The, the Stamps do win 25-22. Here's Anthony Parker making a big catch on Calgary's last drive of the game. First down, Mitchell hit as he throws. inside the five as you can tell the whistle went very fast there he was marked down by contact he did get up the Eskimos ended up stripping the ball from him but man this game was intense from the start physical from the start let's go to the end of the first half where there was a challenge there 
Jason Moss thought Duke Williams was interfered with through the challenge flag, got denied, and he absolutely lost it. Smashed his headset on the uh, bench, ends up getting a penalty for his actions. Mm-hmm. Now, what are, what did you think about not only his actions but the call? Because I rewatched the calls last night. And it almost looked to me like Williams could have got flagged for offensive pass interference. Yeah, that was not DPI. Um, it being at Edmonton, I listened to a lot of uh, a lot of TSN 1260. They had Bud Steen on, and he was in. He was at the game in the press box, and he told everybody in the press box before, or well, as soon as Moss challenged, he looked at the replay up there. He had nothing. Like, he doesn't get to make any calls. He doesn't weigh in on it. It goes right to the command center. But he was at the game, um, reviewing officials, and he, he told everybody, that "If this won't get overturned, this is not. That's not a penalty. If anything, it's on Duke." So that yeah. just reiterates the fact. Um, yeah, it's, and two, Moss losing it like that. It, it, it's only halftime. It's not like you're down twenty points going in. and You need a spark. You didn't. Being like that does not help your team at all. It makes you look childish. And, you know, it's that's a negative tone on the game. It it was a I thought it was an awesome game. Really exciting, but it was you know, yeah. the end of the first the end of the first half just kinda of made it feel like well really? Like we had to watch that on TV because we went down for West of Us with the Eskimo Empire guys, but we're watching it and we see the replays and they're we even said there's no way that's pass interference. Like I was surprised that it didn't get turned around and thrown on Duke. It just seemed like a waste penalty, of a but... challenge to me. Well, and you only get one. Why are you challenging it? Why are you challenging a play there? I don't. I don't understand that. Like in the end of the first half, unless unless it's going to put them up by 14, and you want to keep this thing close going into halftime, then maybe. But no. Not not at that point in the game. Not with what the score, what it was. Like, that 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 is a wasted challenge. Whether or not they got it right, even if he gets it right, it's still a waste to me because now you don't have it in the second half when you're going to need it. And so that's one thing with this rule that kind of screws everything up is that you only have one now, so you got to be real careful when you use it. When you use it in the first half, it kind of screws it screws you over for the rest of the game. Riley ends up throwing for 461 yards, an interception and a touchdown. Gets the loss. Bo, two picks, an interception, 272 yards. Brandon Zilstra, 10 catches, 12 targets, 187 yards. This is when Darrell Walker comes back. Maybe even more space uh, is opened up for Zilstra with you know another awesome uh, receiver there in the Eskimo receiving core. Now... There was a, a play, I think it was the third quarter, where Mike Riley got hammered. Mm-hmm. And the Eskimos are in the red zone. They would have gotten a touchdown if it wasn't for an offside penalty uh, on the Eskimos. I think Duke Williams was offside on a James Franklin touchdown pass. So they would have had a touchdown, and we're not even talking about it if Duke isn't offside on that play. Yeah. <laughs> but Riley gets smashed. There is no roughing the passer call, and he's pulled out of the game by the injury spotter. Now, I rewatched this last night, and I watched this hit. 
I watched it again as well. I watched it a good 15 times. I Part of me thinks it's a lot more borderline and gray area than what Eskimo fans are thinking it is. It, to me, it looked like he had the face mask and the chest plate, and mm-hmm. it ended up, it wasn't a headshot. Maybe it contacted with, uh, you know, the top of his helmet with Riley's face mask. But on first look, it looks like a headshot, but I'm not sure it's as black and white as some people think. At, at first look, if you watch it in full speed, it looks like a headshot. Um, yeah. You slow it down, and you look at the initial point of contact. It's right in the chest. Yeah. Uh, it's not the crown of his helmet. I When I watched it on my on the train on the way or in the parking lot of, at the train station after the game, uh, all I got was full speed. I'm like, oh, I don't know how you don't make that call. Um, but then slowing it down, looking at it again, hearing Bud Steen on TSN the other night or the other afternoon, sorry, he explained it perfect. He's like, you did not leave with the crown of the helmet. You can you can hit face mask to face mask. That's not a penalty, right? Um, you know, he hit point of contact was perfect. Didn't leave with the crown, and if anything, the hel- all that happened was his helmet rode up. Yeah, as he finished the hit. Um, that wasn't why Riley was pulled. He was pulled because his head hit, bounced off the turf. And that's what the concussion spotter saw, according to Bud Steen. But I mean, at full speed, you're not going to see that. Um, you know they have the they have that they have the chance to look at it, slow it down, and I I think it's the I know he said he was fine, but at some point you got to take that you got to take the decision out of the hand of the player, and you know make that call for them for the betterment of the game and their. He health. was kind of wobbly after it too, but he was he was coherent though. T- talking to the referees after the game, like they said, he was he he was coherent. He knew what was going on. He knew where he was. He asked for the penalty. They asked where the penalty was. And they said there wasn't one. And when he got pulled out of the game, I think that just added fuel to the fire. And it just snowballed from there, as we saw on Twitter. Yeah, I uh, it, I think it's one of those things where if they threw the flag, I don't think Stamps fans would be that mad about it. I, yeah. I, I, That's I really challengeable, don't. though. Maybe Dave Dickinson throws his challenge flag at that point. Yeah, he totally could, but the fact is Moss wasted his and lost his mm-hmm. crap on a stupid play. So yeah. he couldn't challenge it. Yeah. Uh, I, I I think props to the injury spotter. We saw this happen in the NFL uh, last season. Uh, they were supposed to have an injury spotter, uh, but Cam Newton repeatedly took headshot after headshot after headshot, and they just left him in the game. You know why? Because he's a star player, and star players make money. Uh, and not only that, but the refs never called a penalty on it. Yeah. <laughs> so I mean, I I'm I'm fine with Mike Riley coming out of the play. I mean, if Duke Williams is not offside, like I said, it would have been a touchdown mm-hmm. from James Franklin, and we're not you know complaining about this. Uh, another thing that adds to the fire, if it's you know Edmonton versus Toronto, I think there's less complaints. They just want to beat their enemies down the QE two. <laughs> it adds yeah, a lot I, more fuel to that fire. If you if you lose to Calgary, you got to hear about it for an entire year. <laughs> hey, they do have one more chance at the end of October, but and yeah, and that gets old really quick. Yeah. <laughs> so it, it's amazing 
how your perspective changes when you slow down, take a breath, mm-hmm. and look at it a couple days later. <laughs> like me, me and you getting into heated arguments with one of our friends on Twitter over this game. It seems a little foolish now when you go back and look at the plays that we're talking about. And see, I know. Yeah, it's like, yeah, you know, those takes were a little hot at the time. Maybe we should have waited two days for this discussion after we all had a beer and kind of calmed down. But <laughs> Mar- Marcel Young, too. Oh, yeah. He played like crap. Sorry. Like, where was he going on that play? Yeah, that down by contact is an interesting thing. Okay, okay, okay. Even if he, so, he's not down by contact at that point. He gets up. Edmonton claims they stripped the ball. You're telling yep. me if the whistle doesn't go, that Anthony Parker gives up on that play? And like he heard the whistle, he knew that the play was over. So why is he going to fight for the football? That's so part of it too. Don't come back at me and say that Edmonton stripped the ball. They didn't. The play was dead, and Parker knew it. If that play was still going, I guarantee you four Eskimos wouldn't have wrapped him up. That's part of it, too. I watched that play a lot, wondering if the Eskimos touched him before he was fully on his feet or if he was knocked over in the process of the catch, which is another gray area thing. But Uh, if you don't have the ball, then it doesn't matter. Yeah, either way, the whistle went. You can't argue with yeah. the whistle. So I know you said just don't blow the whistle until things are over and then blow it. <laughs> well, like it, you know, if he gets up and he scores, that play gets reviewed. And nobody's yeah. going to waste a challenge, you know. Um, it's going to take one minute, get the call right, okay, while well, he's down at the six or the seven or he wasn't touched at all. But if you don't hear a whistle, you better be playing to the end of it. So if they would have let him walk in, well, I guess that's on you. Quickly, let's go through our CFL fantasy rosters. What's yours looking like right now? Mine is based on Brandon Bridge starting. Ooh. So I feel like I come up with a pretty nice roster here. Brandon Bridge at my quarterback spot. Tyrell Sutton, running back. Jerome Messam, running back. Naaman Roosevelt, receiver. Adarius Bowman, receiver. Martise Jackson for the Argos, uh, a returner there. And the Alouettes on defense because I hate Drew Tate and I want them to uh, shut him down. Now. (laughs) Well, then you're not going to like my lineup. Uh, Oh, damn it! Are you picking Tate? Now, I almost thought about picking uh, Drew Willie here just for fun because he... Oh, uh, Jesus. He's he's $986. (laughs) Yeah, maybe you get a touchdown. This makes me so happy because nobody else is under $2,500. Except like, for Drew Willie. Do you know do you know who McLeod Bethel Thompson is? Or Dakota Prukoff? <laughs> Backup quarterbacks in Toronto that cost more than Drew Willie. <laughs> that just brings oh, so much man. joy. <laughs> like so, you might as well just pick him, and maybe Durant gets hurt. He gets pulled in the second half, and you got some points there for nine hundred and eighty-six bucks. Like that is awesome. What, what's your lineup? Well, I took Drew Tate. Uh, you know, <laughs> cheap, only six grand. Uh, Perkins and Keenan LaFrance. Uh, you know, with Bridge, if Bridge does get the start, I have a feeling that uh, LaFrance is going to get some touches. Um, you're going to want to want to try to limit the mistakes. And then I also did double up, though, on Roosevelt and Duran Carter. Uh, 
you know, big play guys get him the ball and uh, Brad Snopley because he's the cheaper version of Greg Ellenson and wanted to double somebody up with Drew Tate. And then because the Riders are playing the Tiger Cats and I'm hoping it's all a fluke these last two weeks, I took the Saskatchewan defense. All right, I guess some injury uh, fantasy names you should be looking out for. Trayvon Van got in some work at Eskimos practice this week. So watch their depth chart. I don't know if Van will start over Perkins yet. Maybe he will uh, in the coming weeks here. Kamar Jordan nearing a return in Calgary. Devaris Daniels, he got hurt in the Labor Day rematch as well. And it looks like he could be back sooner rather than later. It's not as bad as they thought it was. Mm -hmm. So uh, that's good news for the Calgary Stampeders. Let's make our picks for this week. It's everyone's favorite game show. Are you smarter than two overweight Canadian podcasters? Pick the weekly winners in the CFL on Facebook or Twitter at 2 and Out CFL. The Bombers are on by this week, but it was announced, uh, I guess, before the Banjo Bowl. CFL week will be heading there in 2018. So that is... Uh, I mean, staying on the prairies for CFL week in the springtime. All right. Riders, Tie Cats, Friday Night Football. Where are you going, Brazilian Tie? Saskatchewan. Hamilton allows 34 points a game at home. It's the, the charade is up. <laughs> Here is Street Art. Now, I uh, I have a weird gut feeling about this. I might change my pick by tomorrow. I think we might see some magic here. Uh, and I think the Ticats go on a three-game win streak. Oh, we are friends off. <laughs> Here's the Arkell. Feels like the All right, up next, it is Argos and Eskimos in Toronto. Brazilian tie, where are you going? Five in a row. Toronto wins. Esks lose again. Wow. Yeah. I really just wanted to hear Prozac. Sucks to be Edmonton, apparently. Sucks to be you really think the Argos are going to win? Um, yeah. Wow. Edmonton averages 30 points against on the road. so That's not good. <laughs> oh, they're, not a, they're not playing very good football right now, I'm hope. Hey, they, they say you got to hit bottom before you can bounce back, and I think they hit bottom on Labor Day, and I think they're on the way back up. But I still think Toronto is uh, going to take this one. So, Wow. I, I'm going with Edmonton.
Next, it is the second half of a Saturday doubleheader. The BC Lions are in Calgary to take on Bo and the Stamps. Where are you going? Sweet, sweet city woman. Sweet, sweet city woman. And you and me, we got a few folks. was tempted to pick the Lions, but until the Stamps lose at home, I can't Yeah, I can't just pick against them. They score almost 40 points a game. Jeez. Oh, <laughs> so, I, I think they're going to score. I think they're going to put up some numbers. Yeah. Uh, and I, I really just wanted to hear the Stampeders again. I just really want to see Jonathan Jennings continue to show us what he can do on Saturday. Now, this Sunday game, I think, is going to be the ugliest battle, but it's going to be fun to watch. Ottawa and Montreal, Drew Tate starting at quarterback for the Ottawa Red Blacks. Who are you picking? Red Blacks. Oh, man. I got I to roll, roll with them. I, you know, took, took a couple in fantasy and... They score points on the road, and uh, Montreal does not score at home. So <laughs> they don't score. Anywhere. I think it's a good recipe. Yeah, they don't score anywhere, <laughs> so it doesn't really matter. Doesn't Drew Tate, isn't he still undefeated in games that he started and finished? Uh, probably. <laughs> there was a long time where, but I mean, it doesn't count if he leaves with an injury and they lose. Are we Are we aware that Bo Levi Mitchell is like 51-8-2? That's stupid. As a starter? That's stupid. <laughs> now, I... You know what? Earlier this week, I'm thinking about my picks, and I'm like, I'm going with Montreal. And, and then they fired all their coaches. And I'm sitting here today, and I'm just saying, I'm still going Montreal. I very well might be going one and three this week. <laughs> I can't believe you just played that song. <laughs> You're a fan of Sky too. I uh, people don't need to know that, Travis. <laughs> you need to know basis, right? <laughs> I mean, if I'm in a bar and a girl happens to like it, I'll probably listen. <laughs> We will be back every week, all the way until the one hundred and fifth. Grey Cup in Ottawa. Brazilian time. Thank you. Thank you, as always, for having me. Rate, review, subscribe on iTunes. It helps other schmucks find the show just like you. You can follow and like on Facebook and Twitter at 2 CFL. We will talk to you next week. Thanks for listening. Find more great shows like this at CF Pod Network on Twitter.